The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Haircuts, it's a matter of perspective. Inflation, hot, hot, hot. No question about that, right? We're talking metaverse. We're talking oil. We have Frank Curzio on today from Curzio Research. All this and much more on episode number 770 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the Discipline Investor Podcast. I'm Andrew Horowitz. I am the host of the Discipline Investor Podcast. Can't even say it right now. Uh, I'm also the co-host of DH Unplugged on Tuesdays. And of course, you can find each of these podcasts at any of your favorite podcasting apps, stores, repositories, anywhere that you get your podcast. These are av available. So uh, I wanted to uh, talk about a few things before we get to our guests, but I know that when I have Frank Curzio on, there is a lot of time that we spend together without going over our allotted time that I try to do each and every week because I know that your time is valuable and the fact is that you have other things you probably want to listen to also, probably. So what we're going to do is just talk about a few different items. Of course, we did see the issue of inflation. We talked about that over the last several weeks. And, you know, as an investor, as an individual, there's a couple of different things that we, I think, really need to focus in on in what's happening right now. And that is that prices are going up, no question about that, when it comes to our food and our, our, our energy and our, our clothing and everything, our insurance, and our prices are going down when it comes to our stocks and our bonds and uh, other portfolios. That is a big problem because it will create a significant amount of divergence in uh, everything and consumer confidence. The fact is that as a consumer, you have to be less confident in what is going on right now. There's no question about that, right? The fact is that we're living with uncertainty. There's no question about that. We're living in a situation where, I mean, prices are a lot higher. And where are they going? How are we going to deal with this? What's going to happen next? Those are big questions that consumers are asking themselves and at the same time worried about the fact that someday in the future, you know, it's going to cost more for this product that I want and I may make, I, I got to get it now. Now, that is usually a good thing when it comes to the economic environment because what that does is it pushes money a lot faster through the system. It's what's called the velocity of money. And the velocity of money, what happens is as we see that move through the system, trickle down, trickle out, trickle in, trickle out, what happens is it's usually a good thing. But when we get to the point where we see an 8.6% inflation rate on a CPI basis on a year over year, and when a lot of that is dealt with the areas that are the most damaging to an economy, we have food that is just off the charts. And that is going to be very substantial to people who can't afford it. The most damaging part of inflation is if you have inflation in things that everyday people use, and those people who have lower incomes than, let's say, our gazillionaires, millionaires, or even $100,000 heirs, those people that are living paycheck to paycheck, which make up a lot of our economy, are really hit hard. And they're hit hard because they still have to buy gas, they still have to buy food, they still have to pay for insurance, and all these things are going up dramatically for everybody, but on a percentage or on a basis when we look at a ratio of where their finances are from an income standpoint to where they are now with regard to expenses, it doesn't work. So they have to slow down on spending on discretionary items. That caused a big problem. These things are a major issue when it comes to our economy right now. And the question that a lot of people are asking, have we reached peak inflation? 
Or are we starting to see the next leg higher, which would be very concerning? It seems to me that all things being equal, we're seeing uh, oil price at 122 and change. We're seeing, um, on the other hand, housing prices start to level off a little bit. We're starting to see a question as to what's happening with inventory and sales. And supply chain issues opening up a little bit will be to the benefit of inflation. And we have some deflationary items that have hit as well, which I'm going to talk to Frank about because I really want to get his his aspect and his perspective on what is happening with what is going on with particularly the big box retailers with the excess inventory. We're going to I'm going to hold off on that because I do want to talk about that with him. Um, the other thing that I just want to talk about is is um, an item that I'm, oh, I'm going to bring up with Frank as well, is the idea of a haircut and do it yourself. The idea that why is it that we don't do our own haircuts? Why is it that we don't, in fact, go out, buy a pair of shears and just go at it and hopefully it will look good? Why do we go to somebody else? And we're going to talk about that with Frank. The idea is that during times like these, to avoid making mistakes, you want to work with a financial advisor, someone out there that can help you understand not only the emotional impact of what is happening with markets right now, but get you properly set up. One of the things I think I've told you time and time again, that for a while now, we have been looking for a concerning environment. Now, you can't sidestep all of it. But what you can do is set yourself up. And why we have certain positioning in portfolios and why they are uh, higher or lower compared to normal times, why we have a lower equity exposure in our portfolios for our global allocations and for investology is really important to understand. Why do we have a lean towards value? That's important also. Why do we have gold and silver alternatives in there? And why... Do we have bonds, even though they're not working so well right now, that are shorter in duration? They're working better than the longer duration. There's no question about that, and that's why we did it. But why is this happening? Why do we do that? And these are the answers that you get when you work with someone rather than just saying, I'm out or I'm in. I'm going after that stock because it's down. I don't know why. I'm just going or I'm, I'm going to buy that. Look at that stock run. I'm going to buy that. So these are things that we're going to talk about. It's all about the perspective when you get a haircut versus doing it yourself. But again, I'm going to talk about that with Frank. So let's get on with that conversation. I want to bring him on. He's on. Okay, we're going to bring him on, and we're going to talk about all these things. I have so much to talk about. I have so many questions. And as promised, our guest today is Frank Curzio from CurzioResearch.com, a great guy that we've had on for many, many years. As a matter of fact, Pretty much since we started the show back in the uh, late 2000s, Frank has also had a show, uh, various shows, many shows, great podcasts that are out there. One of the, the co-inventors of this, I would say, genre of financial and educational podcasts is here with us today. And we had him here back in April or so. I've been on his show since as well. But I thought it was time to re rekindle the discussions that we have, particularly focusing on things like inflation. But Frank... You're here. Welcome. How are you? Doing great. Thanks so much for inviting me back on, man. I mean, it's uh, tough conditions in the market and a lot of people losing money. I think everyone's really losing money in the market right now. It's it's tough conditions. But, uh, you know, if you're following your stops and being safe right now is the best time in the world to have cash because there's a lot of companies that, that are selling for, for big discounts, especially if you're looking to hold longer than uh, than 12 months. And, and that's what you want to be. You want to you want to have cash in the bank when you have markets like this. So yeah. uh, for us, it's kind of exciting times. So, you know, by the way, uh, I, I've learned recently where the best investors that are never not lose or never losing uh, money are, you know, you know, I, it's the golf course. Everybody on the golf course is making money all the time. Yeah. How is that? I, I don't know. The golf courses are yeah on fire right now. I mean, the <laughs> memberships are going through the roof. Everything. It's insane. It's insane. These guys are making money. It's insane. Everybody <laughs> on the golf course. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I got a great stock making a lot of money on it. Yeah. I shorted this right. <laughs> yeah. I shorted this yep. to the top. Really? Oh, okay. You know, everybody, <laughs> but that is something that's interesting. I, you know, I call that the, um, you know, the final hole which is the the lying that goes on and that creates a lot of misunderstanding by a lot of people because people really don't talk about their losers that often. And we know, like you just said, there are a lot of losses because we had some valuations that were freaking insane. Let's be honest, they were insane. 
some of the valuations, right? And look, so not only were they insane, but they were being justified because you have super low rates. And when you have super low rates, you could borrow, you could leverage. And that's what's going on right now. It's the deleveraging because, you know, you probably own companies that are like, hey, you know what? I own Google that just reported pretty good numbers two two quarters in a row. I mean, that is, that's great, but good numbers. And there's a lot of companies that report good numbers and they're down 20%, 25%. You know, some stocks, SPACs, and you know, speculative stuff but with the garbage valuations, we did down 70, 80% plus. But the reason is, is when you're when you're in a market that so much cash was just given to people and handed to people, uh, you know, and, and then your low interest rates uh, allows you to multiply that by a factor of how much, right? Several mm -hmm, times, mm -hmm. when you see deleveraging, people are forced to sell their good stuff in order to cover those margin calls and, and to pay off that debt, and that's what you're seeing. So even the good names are getting nailed, which provides great opportunities. It provides opportunities all the time. We see this in 2000, we start the credit crisis, we start during COVID, and we're seeing it now. It might take a little bit longer, but uh, you know, once inflation works out, and it will, it will ease, it might uh, take yeah, a little bit Yeah, let's talk longer. about that, because I do, I do, by the way, I do agree with you that there is something to be said about the potential for opportunities being created when everybody else is panicking, right? There are cer certain things, let's also be honest, there are certain things that are being flushed out. The crap is being flushed down the toilet right now. But yet at the same time, you know, when you look at uh, the cream rises to the top in another way, we're going to find things that really have some great opportunity. And I'll share with you, Frank, interesting. And I'm, I'm a little bit, um, it was strange when I found this, but we do a mm -hmm. quarterly screening of equities for a core positioning in our managed growth strategy, right? Our, our aggressively trading uh, slash core equity holding can go long short. We have a ca big cash buffer right now. But the thing is that we have more stocks right now than I've ever seen that have come through that screen ever. That's with expansion of margin. That's with expansion and growth of revenues. That's with expansion and growth of earnings. That's with high ROE and a number of other things. And we have more, the actual raw, num raw number of stocks that have come through that screen just a few days ago is the most I've seen in 10 years. How is that? Uh, it's because everything is getting hit. Like I said, when you're deleveraging, you're going to see even the good names get hit. When People forget during during the credit crisis, there was, I think it got up to 22, 23% of the SP 500 traded under $10 a share. Didn't matter what you own. That's why you look at a market. A lot of people have not lived through a bear market before. And this is a bear market. And, and you could say we're in a recession now. It doesn't matter how you define a recession or whatever it is, two straight quarters of negative GDP growth. We're basically in a recession right now. If you're looking at what oil prices are, people cutting back, we are. I mean, it feels like a recession. Yeah, it doesn't matter no, no question. What the definition is, right? It definitely feels like a recession. It's probably going to last a little bit longer here. But, it, you know, during these times when you see everything sell off, like, and, and the timing couldn't come worse because a lot of people did well last year. Up to November, November, December, that's when the market started getting right. hit. But a lot of people had big gains. And then what happened? You have to pay a big tax bill. And you paid a big tax bill when everything started crashing. And you're like, holy cow, man, I'm down like 30% of my portfolio and I got to pay all these taxes. What are you doing? You're selling some of your best holdings, selling out some of your portfolio to pay those taxes. And now you're seeing that where people are just like, you know what? I have good names that are getting destroyed right now. I'm just selling these things. I'm going on the sidelines until this thing eases. And that's why you're seeing, what is it, $2 trillion on balance sheets? Uh, you know, more more than ever, you've seen insider buying through the roof, which doesn't mean it's necessarily a bottom. In January 2009, uh, we saw same similar insider buying. The last time it was this high, and they were wrong for the first three months. The market came down, but they were actually, you know, turned out to be right because it, it shot back up next couple of months, and you know, the S&P 500 tripled from there. So, you know, you're seeing the buying come in, you're seeing balance sheets flush with cash, you're seeing banks have about four or five times more capital than having a balance sheet due to, to you know, Dodd-Frank rules and things like that. So it, it's a different market. <clears throat> we're seeing inflation, but we're at much stronger times where, you know, we're just waiting for inflation to ease because that's a killer for everybody. High energy prices is a killer for everybody. We just need to see these things ease, and they will, but obviously it's taking a lot longer than expected because the Fed was caught on the wrong side of the aisle here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that, and, and I'm going to once again pin that for a second because the second time I'm pinning this on the corkboard, the inflation discussion, because we're going to talk about that. But, you know, it's interesting. One of the things is this excuse or this concept that people waited. You know, folks, my listeners, they're too smart for that. If they had gains and they need to book their gains and they need to get out, they would have sold at a reasonable amount of time or had some money available on the sidelines. The, the, uh, the, the, what, the thing that you talk about and that a lot of people talk about, which is that there was all of this tax selling, which there was. I'm not, there's probably a chunk, chunk of it. Um, but that also makes me believe that those people were fully invested and even levered 
up on positioning because they had no cash available. I'm, I'm hard-pressed to believe that there wasn't money set aside in some kind of planning capacity to pay for some of those taxes. It just it, Somehow it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, it makes sense to me. A lot of people don't have that much money in savings, right? And and you really don't want it. What are you going to do? You're going to hold your money in, in, in cash and, you know, if, with interest rates so well, yes, low. Yes, yes. How about all these people money? that hold their money in the markets waiting to get their house, to get a house, and they don't, now they don't have the money for the down payment? I mean, it's just stupid. You got to have some money in, in cash. You got to. Yeah, I mean, cash is king, right? It is. And even people will always argue, well, deflationary, you know, inflation, you know, you lose a purchasing power and it's losing money. Listen, forget about that. Okay, because yeah. if you have anything else, you're down 30%. If you don't right. have any cash, you're fine right now. Don't worry about the inflation. Right. But I laugh at that argument where, where you know, cash is like a bad thing. Cash, imagine if you're in cash, you decide to go to all cash in January. You, you're sitting here Fantastic. like a king. right. You know, so don't, cash is, uh, is a strategy. It's a good investment, and it's an investment that's not going to be used by hedge fund managers and money managers because when they have money in cash, they don't make fees on it. They have to put it to work, and you're not going to pay those fees for them to put it in cash when you can do that yourself. So – you know, cash as you know personally is a great investment. You're sitting there; it's liquid. It's you know, again, you can put it in, in treasuries or whatever you want, which you know is not as liquid, but you know, it's it, whatever you want. But cash and, and you know, just it's it, it's a great investment. People forget that sometimes. And by the way, uh, side note: we charge on cash. I charge clients on cash holdings. You know why? Why? So they don't have that situation that is that I feel that I can't be in cash. Yeah, you I mean, my look, point? and they trust you and you have right. the performance and, and they're probably happy if you're in cash yeah. now because they saved a ton of money. Yeah. All right, let's talk about inflation. We're going to take that pin up, take that pin out. We're going to start talking about it because we've been talking about this for a long time. You and I, I've been talking about this for the past six months, eight months, and it's not a pat on the back. Fact, just go look back and, you know, this. ever since the word transitory came out, I called bullshit. Okay. And you also, I think, were part of that. I think in the beginning, I don't know, were you transitory team? Probably for, for 18 months. I mean, that's how long ago the Fed started saying that, believe it or not. The transitory, which months, I thought was really, a joke. It was 18 months ago, wow. And I think anyone listening to this right now, and this is why when it comes to the economy, I wish I could teach economics course because they teach these bell curves and all this bullshit and go back to history, which yep. is, you know. But right. it's all about what you buy, what your neighbors are purchasing, you know, everything around you. You're buying a gallon of milk is more expensive, gasoline, who's driving, who's buying more cars. All of that is factored into the economy. We could see it. Thing that was different this time is compared to, to the last time during a credit crisis is when the Fed bailed everyone out, they they bailed the banks out, and the banks were able to hold that money and they shorted up the system. This way, everything was safe and that was okay. Mm -hmm. This time around, by the way, that turned out to be about four hundred eighty billion dollars in total of the seven hundred eighty yeah, tarp. Remember that, and that was right. like, oh my god, four hundred eighty oh billion. Oh my god, <laughs> we spent. I, I'll put this in perspective. We spent four and a half trillion since since January first, twenty twenty one. So think about when COVID happened. Okay, because when we hit 2021 and we hit those levels, earnings started to go back to record highs. Home prices started to go back to record highs. Is when the vaccines were released a couple months before that. Now we saw almost everything starting to get back to normal, which we should have been cutting back. The Fed should have been raising rates again. You could play Monday morning quarterback, which you're doing here. But you injected another, what, three and a half, four trillion dollars into the system when everything right. got back to normal. Right. And you were handing checks directly to people, directly to businesses and PPP loans. What do you think they were going to do with it? They were going to spend it like crazy, especially since they were locked down a lot of places, not so much in Florida and Texas, but every place else and some places are still freaking locked down kind of with, with masks and things. Mm -hmm. It's another argument. But now you have these people with all this cash spending it and, and, you know, pulling it forward. So now when you see this inflation coming in, that's why when you look at Target, you're like, why didn't Target warn last quarter? They, see how they just warned? They just warned a week ago, a couple of days ago and said that next quarter, which is about two and a half months away, our margins are going to get hit because we're sitting on massive inventory. They didn't do that last quarter, neither did Walmart, because it was a light switch. It happened so fast in the last month of the quarter that they were just caught off guard. They said, we have all this inventory because we had supply chain concerns. So we said, you know, F it. We're going to bring all this inventory in. You know, demand is through the roof. Same with autos, same with semis. And all of a sudden, demand stops on a dime because prices are going higher. And well, eventually and, and, and on top of that, some of the things that they say, so they panic ordered what they did. Because they were worried about supply chain. They are worried about getting the stuff out there. They are worried that, oh, my God, look at the consumer so strong. And, and, and unfortunately, the unseasoned supply chain order, uh, the people that were in ordering, the people, the buyers, went berserk. And I think there was some excess stuff that was delivered late that came in as well. Yeah, and you can't fault them for that because right, they were right. trying to get these orders through and they couldn't for such a long time. Correct. 
everyone knows what we're talking about because if you ordered anything significant, if it, I had a bed that came in seven months, golf clubs that came in eight months, you know, anything that you ordered. So what are they doing? Let's place more orders because we're seeing this demand. And all of a sudden, demand stops on a dime. People change their habits because gasoline prices are through the roof. They're paying more money. I mean, you look at interest rates and mortgage rates. This is hitting them directly in the wallet, coming right out of their discretionary yeah. income, right. which they have less of. So now what are they doing? They're cutting spending on lots of discretionary things, not so much travel and things, but they are. And we saw that. And now, you know, you look at these companies sitting on massive amount of inventory uh, and, and that's good news. You'd say, OK, Target, you know, warned again after reporting a bad quarter. This stock just get hit just only weeks later, later, just weeks later. And, but this this is the first for me. I don't know about you. This is the first deflationary event I've seen in all 24 months, Agreed. which is I mean, what you need yep. right now because yep. inflation is the enemy. It's the only thing. This is what we've been preaching for the last 18 months. Inflation. People don't understand inflation because it doesn't happen often and like it happened in the 80s. But when you have inflation, it's the only thing the Fed can't control. They can't throw money at to fix. And that's a problem. They fix every other problem. They fix it in a good way. Happens. The way they fix it ends up in a bad way. Yes. And the worst thing that happened during a credit crisis is everything they threw money at, they made a fortune on. Mm -hmm. So they said, OK, next time this happens, we'll do the same. We'll spend even more money. Right. They made a ton of Fannie and Freddie taking over the housing assets. They made a ton of AIG, all the banking, all the warrants. They made a fortune because everything, you know, they have all these assets on their balance sheet now. And they were like, wow, this is great. If this happens again, we'll do it again. Well, inflation is different. The only way to stop inflation is by raising rates. You almost have to force a recession and take money out of the system. And that's what you're seeing right now with them being late to the party and raising rates by so much. I mean, you have to look at the fact of history. One of the things that was forgotten in all of this was that there is an economic cycle. That economic cycle changes, it morphs, and the one thing it doesn't do is go away. Where I think the mistake was made by a lot of people and economists and the Fed, even with Yellen talking about how, well, I didn't know that there was going to be this much inflation because we didn't think that, what, what are you talking about? These are the highest paid people in terms of our government mm -hmm. in the, in this area, the most well-trained people that were appointed because of their acumen, their expertise and their ability. And they suck. They suck. They did. Suck. I'm going to disagree they with you suck. a little bit here. When you say you look, see, I think that's where the Fed ran into problems and a lot of people ran into problems. Because if you look at history, you would think that this would have took place four years ago, five years ago, three years ago. And we had an incredibly bull market with very little inflation. You're talking about like CPI. 18, 19, 19. I mean, 18, 19, 17, yeah. 16. Yeah. Right. So we've seen, you know, a pure bull market since 2011, really 2010, 11. And, you know, outside of a minor correction, maybe 2016 or, or you know, right. late 2018, yeah. but still it bounced back immediately. And that's what kind of market it was. Buy the dip because we have low interest rates and the Fed's there buying you know, tons of, of treasuries, right, which, again, is great for the markets. It increases the money supply, but and it makes money easy. So when you look back at history, that's the problem. Because for me, I was saying throw away everything you ever read because we never had zero interest rates this long. We've never seen a Fed throw mm -hmm. trillions at the market, the amount of money that they're throwing in the market. Mm -hmm. It's but looking back in history, they see, well, when inflation usually pops up, it usually cures itself because people aren't going to pay those high prices. Well, when you gave right. them trillions of dollars, huh, they are paying those high prices. Mm -hmm. They are paying 35% more for airline tickets. They are paying 40% more for food. They have the money because you handed it to them. Right now, they're dwindling, and that money's now you know coming out of their pockets, and they don't have free money anymore, and interest rates are going higher. But you know, looking back at history, and that's what they do, and scholars, that was the worst thing to do because – yeah, everyone wants to, say, wants to say, oh, you get in trouble when you say things are different. Listen, we've never seen interest rates at zero for this long. It's different. We've never seen well, anything di like all this. I'm saying is, All I'm saying is that the economic cycle is the same, though. What I mean by that is, so yes, the peak will and the recovery will last a lot longer because of the change. But there will eventually be another side of the mountain. Eventually. But, you know, if you go back at history, it suggests every five years, dating back to the 1930s, 20s, if you go back to, to you know, on average, on average, every five years, we didn't have we weren't allowed to have a recession. Correct. The Fed didn't allow recessions all of a sudden. They didn't allow like this correction of all the BS and, and washing out, which which is a great cycle. Mm -hmm. They didn't allow it. They kept interest rates low and kept pumping more money into the system. And that's when the economic cycle changed. And so many people were like. You know, not in the market from 2017, 18 and seeing and going, holy cow, this is this is crazy. These valuations are nuts. And, and look how much further we went higher for another right. three years. Yep. And now we're seeing a correction. But you know, when you're looking at the past, you have to be careful because the Fed really changed its outlook from being a non-political organization to very political. Very and Trump political. was able to make yep. them lower rates right away in 2018. You're seeing it now with the politics. You know, politics are involved in the Fed more than ever. 
it's kind of always been, but not to the point. There used to be a separate body that, you know, they, they were there for you, right? Just to help you out and help. Well, remember, we all recognize something, something I've talked about for 10 years. The Fed, when, when Powell came in, when I looked at what, even what Bernanke had, Bernanke had a bunch of variable annuities when he came into office. They are very sensitive to the markets. As a matter of fact, one of the first things that happened, I think it was 2000. When did Powell come in? 2018? Uh, yeah, around. But I'm not sure the, the exact year. Maybe was, whatever the year was. Whatever the mm -hmm. particular year was, there was a correction happening, and it automatically was stopped in its in its tracks. Powell came in with one of the most, uh, the biggest portfolios of any other Fed chair or any person really on the Fed, and he's got to be saying, you know what, I don't want my stuff going down 20%. Let's do something about it. And then it took a while to flush out the fact that these jerk-offs were trading mm -hmm. during all this. The, the couple of three guys were asked to yeah. leave. But let's get back to the deflationary marker that we see right now, right? So we got Target, just the two we've seen, right? Well, we know it's Target, Walmart. We saw a little bit from Gap and a few others. Retailers is, right, across the board on right, average right. are sitting on 35% more inventory than they did uh, year over year, which is insane. This so is explain to people, though, what it means by uh, – so everybody understands we're all on the same page. What What does it mean that you say now, hey, that is deflationary. That item, that item is the first piece. Why is it deflationary? It's deflationary because when you're sitting on a ton of product – and now you're seeing demand fall, which means when you had that product, you were able to charge higher prices. A lot of companies had pricing power. They're making money. Their margins are expanding. That's what you're seeing. Now all of a sudden demand falls off a cliff. They have to get rid of that inventory. How do they do it? They have to lower prices, and they have to lower prices significantly. Sale. So as an investor, you want to look at that and say, how do I take advantage of it? And there's several ways to take advantage of it. There really are. I mean, you're looking at – Look at the TJ Maxx. I wouldn't go into raw stores, but you know that's an amazing trend where all this inventory is going to be given to TJ Maxx. And these Why guys wouldn't you are do Ross? What's wrong with Ross? Well, Ross is more focused on the low-end consumer. And if you look at their last quarter, yeah. it was a nightmare. Yeah. So even though they have that inventory, they're getting it for dirt cheap prices, and, they, and you're going to be able to get great stuff there. It's a lower-income consumer, and those are the people that are closing their wallets and, and, and you know, reducing their spending the most. Those because, are because by the way, those are the people – Assets. The, the, those are the people, the lower end of the spectrum of income now. We're not talking about assets. Income are hit the hardest by the cost factors associated with rent, food, and oil, gas. They, they are – it's like a smack in the face, direct, right at the bridge of the nose. Yeah, and these are the people – and you said assets, but they don't own assets. Because right. the one savior in this is if you own a house, you're seeing your price up, what, 25 30%. Year over year, it's up incredibly. We live in Florida. You know that as well oh as I do. It's just across yeah. the nation, right? You're seeing those prices go higher and higher, which is helping out because you know, while your portfolios are getting crushed like everybody else, you have that. But if you look at it, they don't have the money to own these assets, right? So they're struggling the most. But TJ Maxx has a different client base, and that's why you see that quarter was very, very good, very strong. It's a cheap stock. They're reporting record earnings and record sales now, and this was as of last quarter. They're growing. They're trading at its lowest PE that it's traded at in the last 15 years, mm -hmm. you know, outside of a few, you know, the, the credit crisis and, and COVID and, and minor times. But and you know, you're sitting on a company that that's down 20, 25 percent off of its highs, even though they're reporting, you know, much higher sales and revenue than they did pre-COVID. So those are the names you really want to look at, and it pays a two percent dividend, right? And they right. buying back their stock. I mean, this great balance sheet. Those are the names you're able to buy in markets like this, where you can't buy them at a 20%, 30% discount, unless you have events like this, it could go down another 10% from here, that's fine. But buying it now and having a 12, 18 month outlook is important because inflation is gonna moderate. We'll get to oil and food in a minute because that's not that's gonna take a little bit longer, but we're seeing it on, across many different spectrums, even rental properties and used car prices and what Walmart and Target you know, just reported, this, you're gonna see prices come down. And when you do, what does that mean? It means now you're gonna see it moderate and when it moderates, and again, it's still, Gas prices are five dollars. If they go to four dollars, they're still almost you know double what they were, right? <laughs> I, yeah, Plus that's the funny thing, right? The, the inflation expensive. may actually come down, but prices are not going to. Prices are going to be sticky. Yes, but you have to understand as an investor, if you see inflation start to moderate, now you're going to see the Fed fifty basis point cut, maybe fifty basis point cut. Uh, you know, the next two meetings, but no, now the raise, much, raise. He, let me correct you. Uh, raise, he said cut. Right? He meant raise. So now they're at. 1%, they're going to be, say, at 2%, Andrew, right? So right. they are 2% right now based on where the 10-year the, the is at 3%. They should be around 
2.75% around. And some of the guys have it at 3%. But if you see inflation moderate, they don't have to be as aggressive. And that's important because now yeah. you're going to have ammo at 2%, yep. 2.5% where they can lower rates next year. You need to see inflation moderate. We're seeing it, unfortunately. We're not going to see it for a little bit longer, probably uh, another quarter or so, maybe a little bit longer with food and energy. But everything else is starting to moderate, which which is great. And you know, Which, which I think is what – by the way, I, I've always predicted – uh, from every piece of data that I saw, that it would be highly impossible to get these 10, 12 rate increases in the next year or so that has been speculated by Morgan, Goldman, you know, Merrill. The problem is that the slightest move in interest rates to the upside with quantitative tightening or lack of quantitative easing, however you want to look at it, depending on where you are, it, it, already we're seeing so much damage because that is coupled with lockdowns in China and then openings in China, probably further lockdowns in the future and a war over here. The fact that the, you know, we have a, a I think just uh, today the UN announced a, it was, no, the IMF announced uh, just a couple of days ago, it was right around here, uh, that there was a global food uh, catastrophe that is unfolding. Oh, there is. Which is a real problem. And let's talk yeah, about no, that. Like, let's talk about that. We got wheat. Something. Yeah, fertilizer prices. I mean, you look at the the companies in that area and what's going on with the lack of that. I mean, in how many other places, like each Egypt yesterday said, hey, we're going to, just like what happened with Indonesia with the palm oil, uh, they're not going to be exporting wheat or corn or whatever. They're keeping it all themselves. Yeah, I mean, you have to understand this market, and this is something that, that we were able to get into Mosaic very early, we're about 7 80% on it. Uh, coal is another one that we've got into uh, with aluminum. But when you're looking at the ag companies, uh, you, you have to understand that, okay, they increase fertilizer use. And what that does is when they use more fertilizer, they increase their crop yields. They're able to produce more for the same amount of money, right? So you're increasing crop yields. Now that they're 3x times the price, farmers aren't using them. So they're going to produce less. Now that they're producing less, and a lot of this takes time in food. That's why I'm saying it's going to be another three months, four, five months. You're going to see an explosion in, in food prices because there's less food coming to the market. Now that's going to hurt us. And we're going to have to pay higher prices. But there's a bigger problem globally where there's some people that aren't going to have access to food. And you're going to see that over the next three, four months because just like you said, the corn, the wheat, and I mean, you look at where does the fertilizer come. You look at most of it coming from Russia, Belarus, which we have tariffs on, which we're not friends with. I mean, this is where, you know, the nutrients, well, isn't, the What about intrepid potash? Isn't that in, isn't that Canadian? Or maybe intrepid I, potash, I believe, is in Canadian. That's one of the ones I, I don't follow. But, you know, yeah. potash is, is, is very good. Right. But we, we chose Mosaic and, yeah. you know, Mosaic. I mean, just buy a fertilizer company and you'll be fine because the demand is – There's actually a uh, – I think there is a an ETF that that <laughs> focuses on this, if I'm not mistaken. I'm sure there is. Yeah, yeah definitely. There's <laughs> an ETF, there's for, an ETF for toilet paper, for God's sake. <laughs> 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 you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. So we have a food uh, problem coming in. And by, and by the way, can I can I just uh, – as on a humanitarian – point, just take a moment and mention that we talk about how to profit from this horrible event, right, Frank? Okay. But also, please be sensitive, everybody, to what is going on around the world and try your best to dig deep and help out others that may be in awesome. in worse situations than us and, and maybe in critical nature. There's plenty of places, ways in which you can help I'm not going to mention any of those, but there's plenty of ways that you can help with people that are very, very needy with with regards to uh, you know uh, food and money and things of that nature. Yeah. But but um, but we talk about the investment side of things, of course, and obviously, then are we continuing to think that the things like wheat, corn, soybean price are going to continue to rise? Uh, you know, when it comes to fertilizer and a lot of other things, you're looking at as a key input being natural gas, right? So and look where prices are going and. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny when I'm looking at the current administration. It's fine. You got your job is to do, you know, what your constituents want, right? That's why we hire, hire politicians, and that's fine. I think mm -hmm. that's what Santos is doing perfectly in Florida. People hate him for it, but this is what we want in Florida. What he's saying, and Biden, Biden, not all on. of it. He says some a lot of stuff, by the way. Yes, but I'm I'm quoting Biden here from from just before he got elected. This okay. is quotes. I'm getting rid of fossil fuels. I guarantee I'm going to get rid of fossil fuels. Climate change is the number one issue facing us. On CNN, he said he's going to completely shut down drilling for oil and natural gas on day one of his administration. I'm canceling on the Keystone Pipeline, which transports, what, our 100-year supply of natural gas to so many different places. And you have Devon, Continental, Pioneer. They're all trying to talk to the government saying, hey, we could increase it and we could increase drilling. And they all said we're not getting a response from, from the government, which, which is fine because that's what Biden ran on. And if he decides to change his mind, 
that that it matters next. Democrats he is changing his mind. He's already started to do mm. the uh, the change in summertime fuel uh, uh, with ethanol. He's uh, already opened up a variety of places in uh, federal lands for drilling. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying that that he's got to change his mind, and he will because this is a bad idea what he did. Listen, I follow the industry. I've been on dr- um, drilling rigs. Uh, I, barely, I visit every single major shale area in, to, in the Permian with, with some of the top drillers, and, and people have been doing it for 30 years, and, and, and not just the Permian, the Eagle Ford uh, in Pennsylvania, the, just Marcellus. Mm-hmm. And, and we have more natural gas yeah. than we know what to do with, and we have more oil. And the reason why our fracking is so amazing is because – and why no one can mimic what we're doing here – is because the area needs to be completely drilled. Look at the Permian has been drilled for decades and decades and decades. So these, when you drill and you frack, they have almost a hundred percent rate of hitting, almost hundred percent because they know exactly where the oil. Well, because they have great, great technology. Great technology. Now, yeah, yeah. So, and the amount of oil that we can produce, and forget about the federal lands that are opening, because still those permits. And if you want to read the op-ed by, by Continental again, I, I look at, at facts and figures. I don't care about politics. I don't. But you look at facts and figures, and he's saying they're not opening it up. They're not letting us drill. The administration is not talking to us. Uh, you know, that was an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal from, from Harold Ham, who wrote the biggest check ever before Jeff Bezos to his wife when he got divorced. But I remember that. <laughs> but, I remember that. Uh, yes. And, and, you know, you're looking at oil prices and, and you're depleting the strategic oil reserves while every other country is increasing, right, their strategic oil reserves. You're looking at, at, you know, where we are right now with oil prices. You know, we need to drill more. It puts us in a better position. But the thing I don't understand and why it pisses me off so much and, and why it's political, because it's kind of funny with the current U.S. policies where we won't produce more oil here, but now we have this current administration talking Don't say Venezuela. Iran, Venezuela. <laughs> Unbelievable. Saudis. Unbelievable, by the way. The, the, so the whole idea. Oh. hate us, and we're making them stronger by relying on them. But second, do they have some kind of special oil that doesn't harm the environment? Because why are we yes. letting these guys produce instead of us? I they mean, do. It's like masking when you are – Standing, but you don't have to mask when you sit in a restaurant. It only yeah, it's, it's certain it's, levels. The, the, the politics behind this is absolutely amazing to me. It's almost like we shut down all coal, and even yet we're seeing everyone else ramp up. Like we we for our carbon emissions, we account for about eleven percent of carbon emissions. No matter right, what we do, unless we get the rest of the world to help out, if you're a climate change maniac that thinks the world's going to end tomorrow, again, we believe in climate change, but not to the point where people should be sleeping on park benches and we're going to cut all this oil supply. How about, how about a simple solution? How about letting the oil companies go nuts, take 20% of their profits, and put them all into this green energy, wind, solar, whatever? That makes sense, where it helps consumers, you're building up alternative energy, and you're taking those profits from the oil companies. It solves a problem. It seems pretty easy to me, but that'll never happen because of politics. The problem is that they thought that they could just shut off the spigots, which is stupid. Uh, and all of a sudden, we'd ha- everybody would have electric cars like tomorrow. Or that we'd all be on solar and wind tomorrow. When we need to have a plan of how this progresses over time. It's going to take decades if, in fact, we are going to get on alt energy, whatever that, figure and out it, what that means. You know what is with climate change, it, it, it sucks that you either have to be totally for it where yeah. you think the world's going to end tomorrow or totally against it, which is a very small part of the population, by the way. Everyone's in the middle of this. You want to help, whatever, carbon credits, uh, it, it, whatever. But there's a big medium here right here because we're letting other countries get a lot, lot stronger. I know. And, and Russia understood this. They knew exactly what we were going to do because we did the same thing when they took over Crimea and took over Georgia. We did the same exact thing you know, in terms of tariffs, in terms of sanctions, and they knew exactly what we were going to do. They didn't know the whole world was going to go in there but and, and help out, which is hurting them, right? It's really yeah, – It's know, hurting them pretty badly, but they don't seem to be really caring too much. Well, I mean they, because they control oil and the world needs oil. They control a lot of the, the fertilizer. They control a lot of areas that, that the whole world needs. We don't get our oil from them. But for the EU to be playing hardball with them about pipelines and stuff like that, they're crazy. I mean, 35% of the oil is imported from Russia. <laughs> Which, by the way, is crazy to begin with. That they is, would allow you, for that to happen. But let's talk about oil. Have, it's, it's cheaper. It's easy. It's close right. to you, right? It's no, right I get that. I get that. But Where let's else are they talk about this. From? Let's talk about this. How high can oil go? We're talking about 120 bucks, give or take, on WTI, give or take the same around for Brent. We're talking about... Um, huge amounts of moves to the upside here. The fact is, fortunately, not good. That same screen I told you about earlier in our TDI Managed Growth Strategy pulled in about six, eight months ago tons of oil stocks, which we never have. We never have the refiners. We never have the distributors. We never have oil, whatever, you know, anything oil. We hardly ever have that ever because of the criteria. And we had a chunk of there for the last six, eight months. 
which has been great. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at oil stocks too. Last time they were at these highs, I mean, we're still, you know, the stocks haven't followed. They're up a lot, of course, and it seems like it's even, they're up they even more. They were at a 20-year low just two years ago. Yeah, but yeah, and they're up tremendously since then, but they're still well off their highs when, when oil was trading at this price. Mm -hmm. And the profit that they're generating right now, because what are they doing? What are these guys doing? Well, listen, I cover the industry a lot, and these guys want to drill more. Of course, it's going to be more profits for them. You know what they're doing? They're buying back their stock and raising their dividends. That's not what you want to see from oil companies. You want it to be put more into drilling, which they want to do, but they have so much cash on hand that that's what we're doing. They're offering, you know, just... Some of the best returns, and they, they're still dirt cheap. So if you think you miss some of these, you can still invest in a lot of them. I would invest in, in, in companies like Rig and Offshore Drillers because these are the companies that needed $80 a barrel in order to, to be economical. Uh, now they're going to be making money hand over fist, and, and they haven't really participated that much. We're in Rig uh, for probably a month and a half now. It's up, it's up a ton for us. They're all uh, ton. They're all up. I mean, I can tell you the name, like, you know, I, I, have, I have probably a, a dozen – Names, some things that, frankly, I didn't really know about. I'm like, oh, look at that stock. That's interesting. Um, you know, that, that stock, I can look at, and I'm like, wow. You know, that chart looks great and it ended up in our portfolio from a fundamental basis. But um, several of them, I mean, we have some incredible movers on a daily basis that are mind-blowing. Frankly, you know, you can have uh, a 10 15% a day, then it comes back 2 or 3%, then it kind of, you know, hangs in there, then it moves back up. But let's just talk about this. Where's oil going, Frank? I mean, are we going to talk about 150? We could we could see that in the summer months. I mean, just, you know, we're depleting the strategic oil reserve. We can't get the supply online, even if we're looking that at- That strategic petroleum reserve is stupid because they release it and then they just they make an announcement they're buying it back already. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's crazy, <laughs> but I, the only way to do it is we have to uh, unleash our producers. I mean, we're sitting on a massive amount of oil. We could do that. If you're looking at, at what are we producing, uh, 11 million, close to 12 million barrels a day, that has not changed for a month. For your month, that's how much we're producing for the past month. So you can't tell me that these guys are being allowed to drill more and go nuts, and, and they want to be able to drill more, and they can drill more. Uh, you know, you might say, well, they're not drilling as much to keep. Profile. Why is this? Why is this? What, what is what is the problem? It's restricted. It's I know, restricted. but why Talk not? Instead of going CEO. to Venezuela, instead of going to Iran, what is the problem? I don't know. Uh, well, I, I, if you're looking, it's very hard. I mean, when we were relying on OPEC for so long before we came the largest producer in the world. We're relying on other people who control, well, we're going to cut it. Well, we're going to raise it, uh, production and cut it. And we didn't have to rely on that anymore. So much so that, you know, when we, early years in, in fracking, look what the Saudis did. They flooded the market with oil this way, you know, the yeah, average try to, try to, 55, 60 yeah, yeah. to try to put some of these companies out of business, right? So, so now to the point where these guys have lowered their costs significantly, uh, they did a great job over the years. Maybe it's forty dollars, forty-five dollars for, for on average. There's some that will tell you they could produce for twenty-five, thirty dollars, but it's just you know isolated situations in the Permian. Uh, but you know at these prices, they're just printing money right now. But there's areas, tons of areas that they could be drilling right now. We need. We and need, Saudi we need. Arabia has not done anything, in my opinion, over the years to help out anybody but themselves. No, and we're and under the impression won't. that they could increase oil yes. by a ton, but they can't. They don't have the ability to massively increase oil. No, not massively, but they and they did say they're going to keep it in what it is, and they which they should. But it's like you know they also want to get back at that point where they almost got wrecked by that negative forty. It reminds me of the restaurants. You know, restaurants. I got to tell you something. You know, I'm a foodie, right? You go to restaurants, which were bailed out and were all pushing down all sorts of money during the lockdowns. Remember that? You know, you go to a place, it's like a $20 cost for the food or whatever. You give them a $10, $15 tip on it, right? You're, you're helping everybody out because mm -hmm. these poor people, right? The restaurants, we get the, the PPP, they get the other stuff. We're donating to the restaurants. We're going to the restaurants to make sure they stay. And then on the back end, they screw us mm -hmm. with massive price increases even before that prices went up. Yeah. Even before this, you know, and same thing with the airlines, the airlines, the you know, you got to really maneuver around to get pricing. Yeah. I, hotels, I mean, the airlines are insane. Hotels, up, same thing. They were up last month. Prices were up. I think it was 27%. No comment. That was 27. It might've been a little bit higher than that month over a month. Airline or hotels? Uh, this was airlines. airlines and hotels yeah. are, uh, I mean. Staring, I, staggering. I'm traveling every weekend because my daughters are in travel leagues and and we stayed home. It's a thousand dollars, but the time it's a hundred dollars, a hundred dollars backing in gas. 
you're not going to get anything for under 250 a hotel. That, and not only that, you go into a hotel, they don't clean your room anymore, right? Because they're like, right, oh, they're COVID. Right, you're COVID, yeah. You have yeah. to ask them to clean the yeah. room, right? They're offering, offering you know, fewer services, but it's it's expensive. And it's you got to really pay expensive. if there's a pool. You have to pay a uh, a fee for the uh, for, for, for the pool. Parking. $35 a night for parking. I mean, I used to use Expedia all the time. I, you know, I, we own the stock and portfolio, but it, that was it, you say the full amount, right? The full price this is what you're paying. You pay it. When I've gotten to several hotels and areas, they had surcharges of 30, 50 bucks, 75 bucks. I'm like, that wasn't, they're like, well, can you imagine if they start charging you for luggage? Like the planes? Uh, just so, I mean, Frontier does that. The discounted airlines. It's yeah, so spirit. funny. Discounted airlines. Yeah. Like if spirit. you're discounted airlines, you're basically saying that, that you know, it's the worst business model in the world because you're saying that, you know, we're not going to raise prices. We're not going to worry about oil. But then if you go, have to fly Frontier because I live in Jacksonville. We're going to Dominican, which we do every year. We haven't done the last two years. Really quick story. So there's nothing that goes there. It was like, like $1,500 a person to go to Dominican. We're not that far from Dominican from here in Florida. And I was like, okay, we'll drive to Orlando, take Frontier. And I'm like, all right, it's like $500 each, which is cool. And then you pick a seat, 20 bucks. Right. $30 for your luggage. Coffee. I mean, they just, it, it's, it amounts not the same thing, but it's so funny where, you know, it's when annoying. you see your discounted airline, it's just like, it's so annoying. Experience. They charge you for like, they charge you more for a carry on than they do to put it under the plane now. Which you is shake like, hands with someone and it's like, hey, it's 20 bucks. Yeah, on I, I got a coffee. I was on Spirit. I got, I got a coffee. And they're like, that'll be $3. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> so on the way back on this particular trip, I, I was like, uh, I went to my Arizona with my son and I got on JetBlue. I'm like, there was a guy at the JetBlue counter. I'm like, do, do I have to pay for coffee on your plane just out of curiosity? They're like, no. Why? I'm like, what about those blue chips? Oh, we don't have the blue chips anymore. We have all sorts of other chips are free. I'm mm. like, okay. <laughs> you know, between Spirit and Frontier and ugh, ugh. Uh, Let's talk about, let's shift gears hard here. I want to talk about, um, you know, what's going on with the markets. You remember last time I was on your show about five weeks ago? Mm -hmm. I, uh, you asked me at the end of the show, you said to me, Andrew, give me a few stocks. And no. for, for the, do you remember what I said? Yeah. You said no. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. Yeah. No, not doing it. And, and, and honestly, I, I've been very reluctant unless there's very specific circumstances to really go out and say, Hey, I, I can hang my hat on that name or that name or that name. Because you know, everybody was, you listen, all the talking heads and schmageggies on CNBC and all, they're all target was their number one pick, right? That and CrowdStrike, of course, with Josh, you know, all these guys with their, their names that they like. And of course, John Najarian who owns every possible stock that ever is mentioned on any show ever. <laughs> right. He's got an option on that until next. He's got an option that closes on Friday and it's like Wednesday. It's like, okay, that's good. So we talked about this because right now, as you mentioned before earlier, this idea of a bear market and everybody associates bear markets when they're talking about it uh, in the media of this, this magical 20% down on an index, that's a bear market. But I think what you were getting at was the market is acting like a bear market and in a bear market condition, whether it's 20% or not, Markets don't hold the ups. There's a lot more downside. Bad news really hits things much harder. Good news is discounted. There's a different mood in a bear market condition. Would 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 you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, and, and plus you have to look at the macro, right? I mean, where interest rates are higher, where it was always a buy the dip. Just buy the dip. The Fed's there, low interest rates, buying treasuries. It's got you know, easy money. And, and now it's more like sell the rips. So when you have that, people are just... You do have those few days of going up. It usually results in, hey, the next couple of days are going to see a 3%, 4% decline right. in the market, especially when we have bad news on the inflation front or where Target warns out of nowhere, you know, when they just reported a week, two weeks before that. Uh, so, so you know, that it's it's a different mentality, right? It's a different mentality yep. where you're like, oh, let me take some profits off the table when otherwise you were like, I'm buying more on every dip. But here's the point I want to make with all this, that in a bear market condition, and, and you mentioned that a lot of people haven't been through this before, ever, 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 ever. <clears throat> And maybe they have, but it was slight and it was short. We don't know if there's going to be a 70s style kind of bear market condition or a 2008, 9, 10. The point is that it's like a haircut, Frank. Well, Keep, uh, I'll tell you why. Just listen to me. Just follow me for, yeah. for a second. Frank, you, you, you have a pretty relatively shaved head all the time, right? But the point is, do you do it yourself? No, I, uh, I just got a haircut for the first time I'll like tell a you. month and a half. And there's a reason. Ever. There's a reason. I'm setting you up here, buddy. Okay. There's a reason 
why you do don't do your, your own haircut. Now you could use a clippers, right? You could physically use a clippers if you wanted yes. to, right? You could mm -hmm. use a you could use a you could use a, a razor if you want to shave it down. You could use a, a scissor. You you could cut stuff with a scissor. You know how to look in a mirror. You know what it is, Frank? Why you don't get a haircut by yourself? You know what the reason is? Why? It's a matter of perspective. It's a matter mm -hmm. of perspective. You can't see behind you. You got to look behind you. You got to cut. You, you don't know how it actually looks. You don't know if you're doing the right thing on this side, on that side. The point is the same thing with investing. This is why people go to advisors, uh, follow people that write about the topics, the subjects, give advice through newsletters. This is all, it's a matter of perspective. It's very difficult oftentimes to do it yourself because you're involved with it. You really can't see the bigger picture. You may get hysterical when you see things going down when in fact there could have been a good buying opportunity there or when things are going up that you maybe should have been selling into. It's a matter of perspective. So when you're thinking about investing and doing it on your own, think about cutting your hair on your own the next time you're out there. And if nothing else, you have the opportunity to talk to some good people when you're in the chair. I love the way you built that up, the whole haircut analogy. I love it. You like that? <laughs> I did like it, yeah. Keep your hair, buddy. Keep your hair. we got to keep that going. Let's talk about... Um, uh, let's talk. Should we talk about uranium, which I mean, is like uranium, finally, finally, finally? Yeah, I mean, uranium has been picking up. It's one of the areas of the market I think you could buy. We saw a nice surge in these stocks and it came down. Then we just saw really great news that where, you know, finally, right, everyone's cutting back on Russia except by uranium companies where we, yeah, we, we import almost, you know, all of our uranium. Uh, which what are we using low, uranium uranium for, except for nuclear power plants and a few other things? Well, electricity, 20% of electricity here is fueled by it for, for uranium. But the thing is, it's baseload power and it's one of the safest. But people get worried because they see, you yeah, know, just right. you know, Fukushima right, and all right, like, oh, right. you got to worry. Chernobyl, and, and, yeah. But it's really the safest fuel that that's baseload. So what does that mean? It's 24-hour power and it's clean. It's clean energy, right? So uh, solar, you need the sun out. Wind, you need wind to blow. This is This is the best form of energy that we have. Uh, and we have producers here. And when that, is the last time that we built a nuclear power plant? I'm sorry, what year was that? Oh, I don't even know. I don't even like, know. It was but, like in the 40s or some stupid number, like 70-something. But, you know, I'm really dialed in. China syndrome screwed that all up. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm really dialed in this industry. I have, uh, you know, Amir Nani is uh, the chairman of, of UEC, the CEO. Uh, he also started a uranium royalty company. I've, I've been in these things for a while and done well. And they they were up significantly as, as prices went up sharply. Prices were $120 uh, in you know pre Fukushima, and then have come down to the levels where it was in the 30s and even in the 20s, and now we're back up to the 50s, 60s. It's probably going to go to the 70s or 80s. Uh, you see a massive demand. Electricity companies have to lock in their prices. It just demand supply imbalance is amazing. But now you know big announcement by you know current administration is saying, okay, finally everyone, everyone has said we're not using China anymore. And China, yeah, that was last Russia, week. Russia, that was Russia. last week. This announcement. Yeah. So Russia, Russia, Russia. We're not you know everyone right just ran away from Russia completely. But except for uranium companies, which is interesting. But now we're like we're going to start producing here and putting billions into it. And this is an industry that had probably 200 companies in it, publicly traded companies in it pre-Fukushima. It might have five or seven in the U.S. now. But, you know, you can go to Cameco. You can go to UEC. You can go to uh, Uranium Royalty. I mean, those are great, great names. Uh, and I, I think they have a ton of upside here. I mean, these things are still significantly off their all-time highs, tremendously off their all-time highs. Uh, and these guys are well positioned. So, you know, mm. that's one industry. And something else you mentioned about <clears throat> bear markets, this is a lot different, guys. We're not in a, a credit crisis style. We're not in, in, you know, the tech boom and bust or, or even a credit crisis, right, where people buying houses for no money down. It, it's a tough market to navigate because we have stocks down 25%. Some companies are doing well, but you're looking at household net worth is $150 because people have so much equity in their homes. Mm -hmm. So banks have four times the amount of capital in their balance sheets compared to before the credit crisis because of the new rules. So banks are fine. You've been seeing loans up tremendously. Mm -hmm. Loans are up 23% year over year last month. You're seeing lumber prices cut in half, Prices being lowered, where retail inventory is up 35%. Chevy Bolt lowered its price by 20%. So it, it, there are positive. The job market numbers are pretty strong. I think that's going to change a little bit. You're going to see more layoffs coming. But it, it's not like this whole massive sell-off. You know, seeing balance sheets flush with cash, insider buying our, our near highs that we haven't seen since. It's a revaluation is the point, Frank, the right? revaluation. That's but what it is. You, you probably discourage you're looking at your portfolio. But, you know, if you listen to us, even Andrew, you, you, sh you have cash on the sidelines. And this – Bear markets are great for people who are prepared. And even in private equities, you see the dry powder in private equities. You could probably pick any one of them and you'll do well buying these companies because they've also gotten hit. 
you know, and, and they, those guys never get anything wrong, right? Whatever they buy and purchase, <laughs> you know, those guys are great, right? They have great management teams and they think long-term. They're not venture capitalists that, hey, we're in and we're out. These guys build businesses, they go in and then, you know, maybe take a public company private and then they'll come out, <clears throat> leverage it and, you know, just have a, a tremendously higher valuation when they go public again. But yeah, there are positives out there, but- Well, let's talk about that for a second because let's talk about earnings for a second. Generally speaking, earnings- there's been some missteps. There's no question about that, particularly mm -hmm. in some areas like retail where there's an overload of, we talked about the inventories. We talk about like things like Microsoft saying, hey, you know, don't expect everything so great. Amazon, eh, we'll see what happens. Google, been some missteps, but more of a, I think a back to reality was more of a, than the missteps, right? But there's some companies that are not doing well. And there's plenty of quality stocks out there. I've talked about this, you know, with good margins, earnings, et cetera. Um, you know, it's interesting because a company that I would have never picked up because of what I know about them, but they hit all my criteria as a company called Signet Jewelers. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, recent purchase uh, last few last month or so in uh, the portfolio. And uh, again, it's earnings. We could come out with earnings uh, this week. Stocks up 12% above a 50 day moving average, really turning the corner. You got to wonder, Hey, are people thinking about buying hard assets, diamonds, gold, jewelry, things like that, because they're like, you know, I have a friend who got out of the market a year ago. He says, you know, he's, he's investing only in cars. He doesn't like the volatility of the markets, which, you know, I hate to tell him that there's probably some volatility in the cars also. But but the point is there are some good names out there. You just have to Funny. figure out how to find them. And during these kinds of times, why there is opportunity to play the short side, the fact is that there's still great opportunity on the long side. Like I said, we have a lot of energy names in our portfolio. We're, we're heavy leaning towards value in our global allocations. Point is, those things, value as of last week, large cap value was up for the year. Yeah, and you're looking at value where I think it's over 200 companies last time I screened a couple of weeks ago uh, for the SP 500 that yeah. trained below 11 times forward earnings. Right. Now, not all of them buys and maybe some of the, but it, it's a starting point to say, okay, there's a lot of companies in there. Like I will look at, at, at uh, home renovations going to take off. It's going to take off tremendously. And you're seeing that just in home. Because people are now stuck in their houses. Well, it's not stuck. I mean, there's 130, I mean, just listen to these stats, which, which blow me away. Okay. Just from reading, right? Mm -hmm. So it's 130 million homes in America. 40% are outright owned. We've seen how much have gone up, right? Mm -hmm. So you have, you know, that's 50 million homes. The other 80 million have fixed mortgages. Almost all of them have fixed mortgages, which they finance at much lower rates than today. So they really don't care where mortgage rates go. They're fixed, right? But they have right. massive, massive amounts of equity in their homes, which you didn't have in 2008, 2009. And they could tap this equity by taking out home equity loans, which are fixed loans. I'm not talking about HELOC where it's, you know, adjustable. Yeah, but they have to now. pay a little bit more for them now, but yes. It's four to 5%, yeah, four I got to 5%. But you're, but. I mean, you know, your home price is up 30% in the past year. This is hundreds of thousands of dollars. So what's Home Depot, if you listen to their call, said 11 out of 14 categories saw strong growth. Plumbing for bathrooms, paint, building materials led the way. But, you know, Masco, they own, was it Bear Paints, BEHR, if I'm pronouncing that right, Delta Force, it's a dirt cheap, paying a 2% yield, buying back massive amounts of his stock. I mean, maybe they're going to report late July. Maybe they have supply chain concerns, but that's a name that I would definitely purchase a half position and wait till they report. And, and oh, I mean, you're, talking, you're talking about uh, uh, Home Depot. No, oh. I'm talking about Masco. It, oh, Masco. Okay. Mas but What's the symbol on that? Do you remember? MAS. Oh, so if, I mean, that that's list. one name that's down 20% off its highs. That's getting everything right. So yeah. a lot of these names, you're going to see money coming out of the house. It's going to go into renovations, but that's where the, to tap that equity, it makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, the refi, of course, mortgage rates, you know, People in New York and people in some of these big areas, because I've lived there. I mean, when I moved here in Florida 12 years ago, $600,000 bought your shack in New York. Now, most of these houses are over a million. They're selling these houses. They have tons of equity in them. They're coming here and paying cash. And they're, 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 they're a little warped in their sense of what valuation is. And that's why we're seeing such an incredible increase in prices. They're like, hey, wait a minute. I sell a house like this on Long Island for $1.7 million. Yes. And it's exactly. only 1 million here. I'll pay 1.3. Have and at it. What, that's what they're doing right now. Yeah. So they, they're Love bypassing it. the higher interest rates. And that's why, and with inventory pretty much near its lowest levels in history still, you're going to see prices remain high, even though mortgage rates are going higher. Because most people are locked in at fixed. And maybe they sell some of the houses, but if they sell them, they, I mean, most of them locked in at rates below 4%. They refinanced already. And, and so at this rate, of course, you're going to see mortgage demand fall. But you're going to see prices 
stay relatively high. And you're going to yeah. see them come back down a little bit, but not too much. But that's where a lot of people's wealth is tied into. And to tap that is going to be you know, through home equity loans and lower interest rates, which are, you know, you have to pay 7 8% if you got good credit, probably 4%, 3 3.5%, 4%. On those loans, uh, and a lot of that's going to go into renovations, and you're seeing that with Home Depot and, and Lowe's and with their reporting. So there's some good trends here when you see inflation happening, which is forcing home prices higher. But you know, there's some pockets that that make a lot of sense. I, I would think if if we could if we could regulate a little bit. And by the way, uh, talking about housing prices, I do think there's going to be adjustments in certain areas that are not yes. as desirable, and that Absolutely. adjustment will be locally felt rather and regionally felt rather than in, in, in the entirety of the country. For example, not I'm not just saying this because I live in Florida, but a Florida, Texas, places that have lower taxes, maybe more desirable weather, maybe more desirable politics for some people are going to be much more desirable. You know, places like, I don't know, you know, pick, pick, uh, I don't want to pick on Idaho or, or, or Wisconsin, but, you know, areas that maybe are not uh, in, in a world that you could be mobile and you could work from wherever, the places where they have the most State opportunity, taxes, Florida, right? That uh, that's going to keep prices more stabilized, at least unless something really gets crazy, than other places. And before we go, I want to share one more idea, if that's okay. Yeah, apps, please. Okay, I would listen. When you speculate, it's speculation. You want to speculate with money, uh, and this speculate. You should be buying Bitcoin here. Bitcoin, not the other stuff. Uh, Bitcoin and, and some, I mean, this is where all the innovation is coming from. This is an area that, that we just made the largest virtual real estate purchase in history at $5 million. Uh, I think that's going to last probably for a couple of weeks. I'm going to see more people come in and TCG world, one of the best metaverses that I know. I won't get into the whole metaverse thing. You want to learn more, you can email me, frankcursorresearch.com. But when you look at Bitcoin specifically, we saw Bitcoin go to 60,000, 65,000 at its highs. That was the retail investor. Okay, mm -hmm. and they were leveraged, right? So you're seeing leverage come out of the market. You're seeing it 30,000. It was like 28. It went over 30 recently. Why? Because you had Citadel uh, make an announcement with Schwab and Fidelity. They're going to build a, you know, a high frequency. Yeah, that was this week too. Yeah, marketplace with Sequoia yeah. Paradigm. Right. Two massive firms invested a total of you know over one billion dollars together. They're expecting a consortium of wealth managers, market makers, and industry leaders to join. The institutions are getting in. Ken Griffin hated Bitcoin a few years. Hated. Ago. Right, and Jerry Diamond hated it. Hated yeah, until it, right? they figured they could make money with it, but guys. But it's making money, but now they're both <laughs> reversed, right? Because now you've seen a massive market, but it's more important that their clients want it. Now, here's why. When you see that move to 65000 it's all retail. There's $250 trillion in assets under management globally, okay? And, and regardless, if you get a quarter percent of that, it's going to be huge. But Fidelity, take Fidelity, for instance. Fidelity just announced that they're going to – I think this number is incredibly high. They said for retirement portfolios, we're going to open it up where 20% could be allocated to Bitcoin. I mm -hmm. think it should be more – you know, less than that. But right. say if it's 10%, I mean, they have $4 trillion assets in the management, maybe $1 trillion in the retirement part. 10% of that is $100 billion. That's 15% of Bitcoin's market cap that could flow into over the, over the next few years. I don't know where, where Bitcoin's going to be tomorrow. I don't know what it's going to be three or six months from now. I do know it's going to be well over 100000 probably three years from now. Mm. Big, but, big, big, big balls, Frank. No, and here's the thing. Are you a Michael Saylor fan? Really quick. Not really. I don't think you should be, you know, putting that on your right. balance sheet yeah, when, when right, you're a software right. company. Okay, good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. But BlackRock has ten trillion assets in Vanguard, eight trillion, State Street, close to four trillion. These guys are all going to follow Fidelity. They have to because the clients want to speculate, because they know in this industry when you're speculating, it gives you the chance for ten x, thirty x, fifty x returns. Right. If you're speculating, if you look at it, even the top two, look at the top hundred cryptos, you've seen gains like that over time. And yes, you have big losses, but you can't see those gains. So you look at a crypto down sixty percent from its highs. You're looking at 50% of the NASDAQ down similarly, but where they're coming out IPOs and where they're coming out SPAC valuations, you're not going to make 2x, maybe 2x, you're not going to make. So when you look at, at risk return, the people want it. And when the people want it, you have to give it to them. So if you're not going to give it to them, you're going to see outflows from BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, into Fidelity. I, I just hope that we continue. Hey, listen, I think, I think Bitcoins, Ethereums, and a couple other names that you want to throw down there will be fine if A, um, there is the recognition that this is not, it doesn't have to necessarily be a currency. It could be either store of value or investment. I think that the governments will lay off. You know, it's an investment. Just let it go like that. If you're trying to, you know, think about this as a, as a, as a replacement currency, it gets governments nervous. Well, this administration, they came out with big news about three, four months ago saying, okay, we are going to regulate the industry because there's nothing right. And, and you can't really, well, that Gensler, that much right? it was Gensler, right? Gary Gensler, uh, yeah, SEC. Gensler and, and Biden. Biden said, okay, we're going to – Oh, Biden doesn't know what the hell a Bitcoin is. Come on. 
but this this was huge, right? Because there's a lot of garbage in this industry, which you want to get out and weed out because this is where the innovation is coming from. If you're looking at security tokens, which we have for our company and mm-hmm. CORZ Translate Z0, right. you look at the metaverse, you're looking at, at DAO, which is governance. It's not just a board of directors in it for themselves. That, the that they're talking about. That, and I, I have some reasonable belief that Gensler is going to go after the DAOs and, yeah, and, and, make, them and, regu- I mean, and make them register. You know, but the point is you're seeing all these announcements because – now they have they, they know they're going to provide some kind of framework, and that's why you're seeing Citadel get in and make that announcement. You never right. saw these announcements before. I right, know, I agree. I agree. For, yeah, and they're coming fast and furious. This is trillions of dollars that that you know could have the potential to make its way into this market, and especially with the politics, and we're seeing how you know you just the destruction of the dollar, how much money just flows, and how they're spending trillions. It just it makes the case for Bitcoin to be a viable asset that's going to overtake gold because gold is just you know people view it as the older thing. You know, it hasn't been proved. <laughs> That it's oh. the best thing to be in as inflationary or deflationary or, you know, when you have negative real interest rates or to yeah, say – No, it's not holding up. I mean, n- none of it's holding up. Nothing's holding up. None of that's up, right? holding up. Yeah. But, you know, the younger generation is digital and that's what – that's going to be their gold. And, and with trillions potentially you. coming into this and, and people wanting it, it is it is going to take off eventually. I don't know when. It's speculative. But it, it will take off tremendously with the amount of money it's going to pour into this industry. Yep. Frank Curzio, 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 Research.com. Tell us – you giving away anything? Well, guys, you can just go to to, to our, uh, you know, Wall Street Unplugged is our podcast. Uh, we just did a financing that's still open for the for the five million dollar real estate deal, which is still open, which is incredible and very excited about. Uh, and uh, yeah, so so if you want to learn more, you can go to crazyresearch.com. You can email directly frank at crazyresearch.com, or just you know if you want to listen to the podcast, perfectly free. And Andrew and I have been doing this; he's been doing it a little bit longer, fifteen years. I'm about fourteen and a half, right? Did yes, I say that right? yes, correct. Uh, and that's how we met that long ago. But I've been doing it a long time trying to Good help stuff. investors just like you, Andrew. So it's been really, really cool to Good just stuff. meet so many people over that time. Good stuff. And, you know, I, it's funny because I haven't seen Frank actually physically, person to person, because he does pass by my house quite often and doesn't stop in. But aside from that, <laughs> uh, when he lived in New York, I saw him a lot more often than when he lived in Florida, to be honest with you. Uh, you were at the street.com a lot back then, right? Yeah, well, I was, in, yeah, I was doing that whole grind. But, you know, the other thing also is that you didn't have kids back then either. Yeah, I mean, so, every, every minute is accountable for with kids exactly. and work and stuff like that. It's exactly. kind of your kids are older now; they're working yeah. at the house. Yeah, exactly. it, it's tough when you're just yeah. all over the place. Exactly. But we definitely got to get together soon, buddy. All right, we'll put this all on the episode notes for episode number what is it, seven seventy of the Disciplined Investor Podcast dot com. Go check it out. All the information on how to get in touch with Frank will be on there as well. Frank Curzio, thanks so much for joining me. Appreciate it. All right, it. thanks, buddy. All right, buddy, buddy. Man. Yeah. And that's gonna wrap it up for this show with Frank Curzio. <laughs> check out all he has to. Offering the stuff that he does over on CurzioResearch.com. Until next week, thanks so much for joining me. Check out TheDisciplinedInvestor.com. I'll see you again soon. Thanks so much. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.